In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One who comes to us in order to give us a sense of His expectations for humanity, and then thankfully to also give us a sense of what our expectations for Him can be. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we're going to jump into this parable and uh, we're going to do so with just a little bit of context because we, you don't need a whole lot if you've been following along with us. Um, if you haven't been following along with us, though, I figured it would be good to kind of know where we're at in Jesus's story here. Here we are. Uh, we are after Palm Sunday in terms of thinking about this liturgically. Uh, so we're, we're getting closer and closer to the moment that Jesus is going to be put to death, closer and closer to the moment that Jesus is going to be celebrating the Last Supper with his disciples, closer and closer to the moment in which Judas is going to betray Jesus, closer and closer to all of those moments. And so what has happened here is that Jesus has gotten off of his donkey and he has entered into the temple and he has taken up residence in the temple. And while he's been taking up residence in the temple, he's been teaching the people things. And some of what he's been teaching the people has been about the nature of how the kingdom is going to be taken away from one group of people and given to another. And, and that has gotten the attention of the scribes and the Pharisees and all of the people that have been ruling in, in terms of the, the religious background of, of Israel at this time. And so with that in mind, we're going to jump right in to our parable this morning. And so we jump in in verse 33. Jesus says, hear another parable. So this comes right on the heels of that parable about the two sons in which he said, uh, watch out. There, there's something here about uh, how you live your life and, and how that works out in the kingdom of God. So he says, here's another parable because it seems like, well, maybe you don't get it. So maybe I'm going to tell you another one. And maybe this one's going to have an even finer point on it. So hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it. And the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and everybody is kind of nodding their head. Okay, vineyard, fence around it. That's all pretty normal. And dug a wine press around it and built a tower. Oh, well, if, if you, you start putting this together and, and you start recognizing, oh, okay, well, there's some, somebody who has a vineyard and a tower and a wine press. Gosh, that sounds a lot like Isaiah Five, the thing that we just read just moments ago that Ian read for us. And, and so what's happening with that is that you have this sense here of uh, there, there being something that Jesus is alluding to, so, somebody, something that somebody is saying about this wine press and, and this vineyard, that it is the planting of God. And if you look back at that reading, you realize that what God is talking about is his expectations for the nation of Israel and how the nation of Israel has let him down. And so that's a little bit of the context. And, and so he goes on and, and he sort of changes the story a little bit. So Jesus is kind of telling a story here. It, it's almost as if, you know, he starts off telling the story of the three pigs. And, and uh, he, he tells you that, you know, there, there was a pig who had a house that was made of straw and a pig that had a house that was made of brick and a pig that, was, that had a house made of uh, other stuff, of wood. And... Then he goes on and he, he shifts it a little bit and he tells a little bit of a different story. And so here what he says is he, he leased it to tenants and went into another country. And so the master is gone. 
We, we don't know what happened to the master. He just left and he went into another country and uh, we're not able to connect up with the master uh, via Facebook Live or, or via, via YouTube. Um, we, we just know that he's out there someplace. And when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get the fruit. Now, this could have been up to five years later. Because according to uh, the, the laws of Israel, uh, you, you had five years before you could really uh, harvest from a new field. The first three years that you planted something, you were forbidden to eat anything out of there. You were not able to eat anything out of the, the, the first three years of planting. The fourth year, you had to give Everything that was planted, all of the harvest, you had to offer as an offering to God. And then on the fifth year, you finally got your return on investment, your ROI, if, if you're a business major. Uh, you, you got this sort of like, this is the time where you can expect to actually receive something back from your harvest. So this could have been five years later. So he sent his servants to get the fruit, and the tenants took his servants and beat one, and they killed another, and they stoned another. So seemingly, there, there were three different servants here. And then, again, he sent other servants, and more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him. And have his inheritance. Now, this part of it always sort of confused me whenever I, w I was first reading this as a kid or, or whenever. Yeah, I, I always kind of wondered about the, the logical progression of the wicked tenants here, uh, of how they thought, oh, well, here's what'll be the best idea for us. Uh, the, the master is sending his son, let's kill his son. And out of that, somehow, uh, we'll get everything. Uh, because uh, we know that the end of this story, even the Pharisees and the rulers and everybody, they, they respond the right way. What's going to happen to those guys? Well, the master is going to send in armies and, and SWAT teams and SEAL Team 6, and they're just going to obliterate them. And so they, there's kind of this like, why did they think that that was a good idea? Well, one of the reasons that they might have thought that that was a good idea is that this is five years later. And so the master has gone off and, and it's, it's been five years ago and we don't know how old the master was, but he's at least old enough to have a son. And, and you don't know what life expectancy was at that time. And, and so maybe they're thinking, well, the son is the one who's sending all of these different servants. And if we kill the son, we kill the person who owns everything. And so they think that, well, maybe... The master here is dead. Maybe they, they think here, well, if, if we kill this son, that's where this all ends. And in the way that the laws worked in Israel, that uh, if that field then stood unvisited by that master for three more years, they would own it. And so they started having some expectations around what could happen if we kill the son. What could happen if, if we 
kill the, the person who is in charge of this whole thing, maybe we can get everything. And that's an expectation that, that these guys have. And it's an interesting expectation that they have, but it's an expectation nonetheless. And so with that expectation in mind, they kill the son. We go on. And they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death. Not just a death, but a miserable death. And let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give them the fruits in their seasons. And so the, the thing that's, that's being played around with here is, are they going to get what they expect? And what is it that they expect? They expect a payday. They, they expect to receive the grapes that they can now sort of legitimately bring to the market and get money for or, or uh, take to the wine press and make wine out of and then uh, get money for that or maybe just spend some time drinking it themselves like they're sitting in the middle of Sonoma. But their expectation doesn't include the idea that there is someone who owns all of this. Their, their expectation is, is an expectation that doesn't understand the reality of everything that's out there. Which kind of flips us back to that Isaiah reading that this is kind of based on, that Isaiah reading that's all about God's expectations for what is supposed to be the nation of Israel. God's expectations there laid out right, right away. He says, what happened here? I sowed good grapes. I brought in this great vine out of Egypt, the psalmist tells us, and planted it where it should be. And then when I come and visit it, I don't get good grapes. I get wild grapes. I get sour grapes. I get grapes that are not good for anything. I get something that I didn't expect and didn't want. How often do we then look at our lives and our God? And how often can we honestly look to God and say, well, I'm exactly what you expected. So often God has given us gift upon gift. He has toiled over us. He has put us in the care of people that have given us the gospel. He has given us uh, the, the things that we need in order to live lives that are lives that are worth noticing. He's given us everything that we need that he would expect us then to be shining examples. What it means to be a follower of Jesus what it means to be a follower of Yahweh, what it means to be somebody who's baptized, who's indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And yet, so often, the expectation that God should be able to have for us is wrecked by our sin, by our grabbing at things like the wicked tenants are grabbing at things. And even by perhaps our assumption like 
the tenants have our assumption that while maybe we talk about a God, maybe he is actually dead in our minds. That the reason that we haven't talked or thought about what God's expectations for us might be is that we don't actually think of God as being a living God right now who could have expectations for us. So the parable goes on. Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Producing what God expects. And we, we kind of then wonder, how, how does that happen? How does that happen if, if I'm a, such a sinful human being that sometimes I even conceptualize of God as being dead in my head that how do I get to be somebody who is producing his fruits? And the key to it is in this stone that the builders rejected. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And who is the one who is crushed? Who is the one who is broken in pieces so that we may take him into our bodies in this holy meal that we're celebrating in this space for the first time today in a long time? It's Christ. Because Christ is the one who lives up to the expectation. The Son is the one who lives up to the expectations, not us. But because he does, because he is broken and crushed, we, along with him, are raised up because we have been baptized into his name. And we, too, are broken by the sins in this world, the sins of others and even our own sins. But we are promised that there is a way that we are intimately connected with Christ in such a way that when he is broken and crushed, there is a promise that he will raise again. We look forward to that day of our raising. And it helps us to manage our expectations. Because a part of the problem that we have is that we expect God's kingdom to be a right now thing. We expect God's kingdom to be something that makes it easy for us. We expect God's kingdom to be something that if something should show up, well, that, that's okay because we've got this covered. But God's kingdom comes to us in a way where he says, your primary expectation, your primary expectation is the resurrection. 
And if you keep the resurrection as your primary expectation, then you can walk through the brokenness and the crushedness of your life that you're experiencing right now because of your sins and the sins of others. Because you will see the light at the end of the tunnel. You will see the light at the end of this virus outbreak. You will see the light at the end of whatever it is that you're suffering through right now because you know that there is a resurrection that is better than anything that you have ever experienced in your life. And that is your expectation. That is the thing that you are placing your hope and your faith in. Not in this world, but in a world that has been bought for you by the son who has offered himself. And if we can keep that expectation in our minds, then maybe we won't turn out to be so wicked. So may you, this week, keep an eye on the resurrection. May it lead you into the right behaviors, and the right thoughts, and especially the right faith in the one who came to rescue you. Amen.